Please take your Bible, if you have one with you, and turn to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 18. 1 Samuel, chapter 18. 1 Samuel is a book in the Old Testament. Remember that you have the the New Testament about Jesus, his life and ministry, and what followed that in the first century. You have the the Old Testament, which is God's word that describes what took place from creation to the coming of Christ. And we're looking at a section within the Old Testament that's called the histories, that there is history in the Old Testament, there's poetry in the Old Testament, there's wisdom in the Old Testament, there's many different genres but this is history. It's the account of what happened among God's people almost 900 years before the birth of Christ. And this was a, a pivotal time for ancient Israel because for hundreds of years after they came out of slavery in Egypt, they were ruled by judges. Uh, there was a new judge that would arise in each generation, uh, but they didn't have a, a hereditary monarchy like the surrounding nations. And as we have slowly journeying through First Samuel through this past fall, you'll remember how Israel demanded a king like all the other nations. And then God raised up the first king of Israel, King Saul. And at first... He seemed very promising. He was tall. He seemed brave. He led them to military victory. But then he quickly fell. He turned away from God. He denied God through his actions. And we saw how he was rejected by God. And so then while he is still king, the, the great prophet Samuel, this book is named after him, the book of Samuel, he had anointed Saul, but then he went out to a small town in Judea called Bethlehem, and he anointed a young shepherd named David as the future king. But it was still private. It was still not known widely because that would be an act of, of treason. But then Saul faced another enemy, the Philistines. There was the great giant Goliath, the the famous story, probably one of the most famous stories in the Old Testament and certainly in the book of 1 Samuel. No one could face the, the giant Goliath. And then this young shepherd comes. He battles Goliath with nothing but his stick and his sling. He gains victory. And then what we're going to see through the rest of 1 Samuel is him rising in the estimation of the people of Israel to go from this obscure shepherd watching over the sheep in Bethlehem to the king, then the king that would ultimately stand behind Jesus, who would come as the, the son of David and the king of Israel. So again, we're, we're picking up 1 Samuel 18. We've just seen the battle with Goliath. And how finally Saul said, who is this man, David? Who is his father? And he was brought again into the court of King Saul. 
And I'm going to read the first five verses. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we ask that the the words of my lips, the, the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we dive into this passage today, we're going to be exploring this this theme of friendship. Because you'll notice that there is a, a beautiful picture of friendship here between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. And you remember we looked at some stories of Jonathan earlier in 1 Samuel that that he won himself a great battle against the Philistines, climbing the embankment to to face the the horde of the Philistines above, which led to Israel being able to rout their enemies. But at at first sight, this is kind of surprising because Jonathan could have thought of David as his rival. He was unable to face Goliath. He could have been jealous. He could have opposed him. But instead, we see them being bound up with one another in friendship. And this is an example of deep, non-romantic, non-sexual friendship in the Bible. And you see them covenanting with one another them committing to one another as friends in the Lord, the sharing this, this common bravery, this common commitment to Yahweh, this common dedication to serving God's people, Israel. And you see Jonathan expressing his friendship towards David and taking his robe and his armor and all of his weapons and giving them to David. And according to some other ancient Near Eastern sources, often the crown prince would have a special robe. And so by, by giving his royal armor and his royal garments to David, in a sense, he was recognizing David as the, the future coming king. In a sense, he was abdicating kingship. Again, that will come later, but you see his, his humility, his care for his friend. And then we'll see as this story unfolds where 
Jonathan intercedes for David over and over again, saves his life. He, he shows this kind of selfless, dedicated love of true friendship. But as we think about this kind of strong, deep, non-romantic friendship, and we zoom out in the full teaching of Scripture, we see that this is a, a common theme in the Bible, that they're not the only example. You could think of the, the non-romantic friendship between Ruth and Naomi in the book of Ruth. Remember that, that Ruth was a, a Moabite woman, that she married a, an exile from Israel who was fleeing a famine in the land, and, and then her husband died, and all of his brothers died. But she become deep friends with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And so when Naomi decided to go back to the land of Israel, she said, I'm going to, to go with you. And you can remember that beautiful statement of friendship in Ruth chapter 1. And often this is read at weddings, but in the context, it's not talking about romantic love in per se, but it's talking about actually friendship, this friendship between Ruth and her mother-in-law, that Ruth says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. You remember that Ruth was one of David's ancestors, uh, one of his Great, was it grandmother or great grandmother? I should have looked that up before, but, but yes, that this is he's standing in this lineage where you see this example of friendship in Ruth and Naomi, deep, profound, non-romantic friendship. But then you see other examples in the Bible of this as well. You could think of Elijah and Elisha. You could think of Paul and Timothy. Or even Jesus and his 12 disciples throughout his earthly ministry. That the, the sinless Son of God comes into the world, and he doesn't come as some sort of hermit living out in a cave, but that, that Jesus was a man, is truly man and truly God, who was committed to friendship, that he had strong bonds of friendship with his disciples who followed him throughout his ministry. And even says in John fifteen fifteen, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. That Jesus called his disciples friends. So he was a, a man of friendship, according to his human nature, but he was also a man of friendship according to his divine nature, 
that he knew the eternal friendship of the Trinity, God, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this this bond of, of friendship within the very nature of God himself, that, that friendship isn't something of merely human origin, but it, it's, it's rooted actually in the very character of God himself. But sadly, as we consider our modern world, there has been a, a breakdown of friendship. And we could think of many reasons for the, the breakdown of friendship. It's related partly to transportation, that it used to be that you didn't have a car. No one had a car, that you lived in a village with other people, and, and the only way to get anywhere was to walk. And so you would form friendship over time with others. But we live in a world now where you get in your car, you drive somewhere where you don't know anyone you go home, you drive into your garage, the door closes, and you don't need to interact with anyone, that it leads to a breakdown of friendship. But then also we see a breakdown of friendship, ironically, through social media, uh, which ends up being really anti-social media quite often, where instead of engaging with, with real in-person relationships, people have many Facebook friends or many followers on Instagram. And so they have this illusion of friendship and connection with others, but it it lacks the the weight and the commitment of true in-person friendship. And you might consider that in your own life. How many Facebook friends do you have? How many real deep friends do you have? Who's on your list of people that you would call if you were feeling depressed and discouraged? Who would you text if you need prayer? I I heard someone define a, a friend as a deep friend as someone that you talk to for more than an hour each week. That is there anyone that you talk to for more than an hour a week? Is there anyone in your life who, who knows you so well that they can hold you accountable? Uh, it could be accountability for, for exercise. Sometimes people will run with a friend or work out with a friend. Uh, but also just the, the challenges we consider friends in the Lord who, who call us to faithfulness and following the Lord. You can think of Proverbs 27, verse 6. It says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Perfuse are the kisses of an enemy. Now, we need friends. But according to an article that I I read online, it says, Among millennials aged, uh, uh, sorry, among millennial aged adults, 27% report that they have no close friends. 27%. No close friends. Again, they may have acquaintances. They may have people that they interact with at work, but not the kind of friendship where you can know the other person and be known, where you would actually reach out to them when you're down or or share your your struggles or the, 
the tragedies that take place within your life. And according to studies, this is actually dangerous, that, that human beings are created for friendship and, and for fellowship. That's why solitary confinement is such a terrible form of punishment, because you're cut off from fellowship and friendship with other people. I heard of a, a woman who, who worked in a hospice for a time, and, and she would ask people what they would change in their life. And of course, there's things that you would expect if people would have spent more time with their, their family or with their children. Oh, but she said that one of the themes that she would hear over and over again is, I should have kept up with my friends. I should have been a, a better friend. That, that people don't talk about wishing that they had spent more time on a screen or that they had spent more time at work or that they had made more money or that they had been more successful, that, that people grieve over relationships that were lost or broken because we need friendship. And imagine your life without friendship. Imagine moments with friends that, that stand in your memory uh, where, where you, you felt at ease or you felt peace or you, you felt the, the joy of that fellowship. And then imagine if you didn't have friends, because we, we think about that for our children, that every parent wants their children to have friends. But adults need friends just as much as kids need friends. It's so important for mental, for, for spiritual health. But tragically, I've noticed this trend even within the church, where people, they want to have strong friendships, but quite often they're, they're too busy, they're going too many directions, it's not a priority, that they don't have anyone that they would call or text when they're in a difficult place. And maybe that's where you are today, that you don't have someone that Anne of Green Gables would call a bosom friend, so that you have a a bosom friend. And listen to how the Bible talks about this kind of bosom friendship elsewhere in Scripture. So Proverbs 18.24 says that a man of many companions comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that's especially significant, I think, in the social media age, that the man of many companions, of many followers online, will come to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Or Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Or Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. That we were created for friendship, that we need friendship. We need someone to, to pick us up when we fall down, to challenge, to encourage us. And this is something that was recognized even by great Christian thinkers over history. So, for instance, think of St. Augustine, one of the great theologians of the early church. He says that in this world, two things are essential, life 
and friendship. Both should be highly prized, and we must not undervalue them. Life and friendship. Or J.C. Ryle, a 19th century pastor, says that this world is full of sorrow because it is full of sin. It is a dark place. It is a lonely place. It's a disappointing place. The brightest sunbeam in it is a friend. Friendship halves our troubles and doubles our joys. And I love that, that that friendship halves our troubles and doubles our joys. But then perhaps you're feeling the weight of this in your life, that you think, well, I don't know if I have a a close friend, or I had a close friend, but they went to be with the Lord, or I lost contact with them, or I was alienated from friends, that I I really don't have anyone to, to call or to text when I'm in trouble. What do I do? What's the the path forward in pursuing this kind of friendship that we see from Jonathan and David here in our text? Well, the first thing is that if you are married, your marriage partner is a great place to start. That begin by cultivating a strong friendship with your spouse. Because remember, I said that we were created for fellowship. At the beginning of creation, even before sin entered into the world, the first time that God said something was not good was man being alone. And so sometimes we think that if, if I was only more spiritual, I wouldn't need friendship and community with others. But even the, the person who had the sinless communion with God needed that fellowship and that friendship. And God created Eve as a spouse for Adam, but then also as a, as a friend within the garden. But I think that, that many married couples can end up neglecting friendship with one another, where you become busy, you become partners in child-rearing or partners in financial management or, or partners that are ships passing in the night, but there's no true friendship. And so a wonderful way to think about growing in friendship is, is to, to try to really carve out time weekly. That if you're, if you're married, a, a weekly date is a really good idea. Um, Grace and I have been trying to, to do that, and it's been wonderful, just the opportunity to talk. And it, and it doesn't mean you go to a fancy restaurant. It could just be you take a walk together, or you sit t- together, or you have coffee with one another. That Remember I said a, a friend is someone that you, you talk to for more than an hour a week. And sometimes it takes work to, to carve out that time and to prioritize that friendship, even over other friendships. That I'm convinced that if you're married, your spouse shouldn't be your only friend. Sometimes people say, I have my spouse. I don't need any other friends. That you need other friends as well. But that sometimes people will say, well, sorry, honey, I'm going to go hang out with the guys. Or sorry, honey, I'm going to go out with the ladies tonight. And there's a place for that, but we shouldn't put other friendships in the place of cultivating that key relationship. That is a wonderful place to start if you are married. 
But then for, for everyone, whether you're married or not, that we should all seek to, to cultivate these kinds of strong bonds of friendship with others around us. And it takes a lot of work. That within life, there are things that are, are very urgent and important, that you're checking off your list that you have to get done. And, and often it's, it's the urgent things that just take over. But then there's this other category of things that are very important, but non-urgent. But, and often that's where the very most important things of life are found. That spending more time with your child may not feel urgent, in the moment that you can go one week without spending time together, but what if you don't spend time together over 10 years? Exercising your body may feel like not an urgent matter, that you can make it through a week or a month without exercise, but what if you go 10 years without exercise? What will it do to you? And it's the same with, with friendship, that within the, the, the busyness of life that you can prioritize other things. I'm, I'm too busy. Things are crazy at work. I don't have time to, to get together this week. I don't have time to even gather for worship where you see friends to form relationships or to get involved in Bible studies or connect groups, places where those friendships can be formed because life is, is too busy. But then over time, after 10 years, you realize that you have no deep friendships, that you have no one to call, no one to support you when you are in a bad place. And so this takes work, intentionality, and often it takes taking the initiative of of being the one to to call somebody to say, hey, let's get together for coffee, or let's go to a walk, or let's go play, um, go bowling together, or do some activity together that, that you when then when you're with the person to focus on actually being a friend to that other person to listen to them to to seek to to know them and you see that from Jonathan that that Jonathan in our text is such a beautiful picture of how to cultivate relationship because he wasn't going into the friendship with David thinking what can I get from David or what can David do for me but this pasture of humble self-giving to to care for his friend to to know to understand him so again we need friendship but as we wrap up today i want to leave you with two words of warning two words of warning so the the first word of warning is that if you are a believer Though it's very important to form relationships and friendships with people who are, are not believers, that's important. That when you think of that your ultimate closest friends, that to, to try to cultivate friendship with people who, who know the Lord and, and love the Lord, who share those same values, the same commitment to, to following Christ. That there's, you with Friendship, when you don't share that, that bond of, of loving the Lord, that you can get to a certain place, but then eventually you hit that place where it's, okay, we think about the world in a very different way, or the, the wisdom that I get will be different. And will I rely on this person for that kind of deeper re- wisdom and, and counsel? 
And this is something that parents often see with children, that, that you, your child will be impacted by the friends that they have. But it's the same for us, that we become like our deepest, closest friends. And so we should have a, a wide array of, of friends, but when we're choosing our, our closest, deepest bonds of friendship, you can think of Proverbs twenty-two, twenty-four, where it says, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Now, we're called to love everyone. We're called to care for everyone. But when you're exposing your, your heart in that kind of deep friendship, that you will become like your friends. So again, choose wisely. So that's the, the first warning. But then here's the, the final warning that will pull all of this together today, that we should be careful when we consider cultivating friendship, that, that we remember the, the ultimate friendship, the, the deepest friendship should be our friendship with God, that no earthly friendship is a substitute for for knowing God, for knowing Christ, for, for being brought into that friendship of the Trinity. And in that light, Jonathan here in our text becomes this beautiful picture of Jesus because he, he takes his royal robe, that he, he takes off his royal robe, he gives it to his friend the, to clothe him in, in the, the garment of royalty. And that's exactly what Jesus does for us, that when we repent of our sins, when we put our, our trust in Christ, that, that our filthy robes of, of sin and rebellion against God are given to Christ. They're, they're nailed to the cross. They're buried in the tomb. And then Jesus takes his perfect robes of righteousness, the, the, the royal robes of the, the Son of God, and that he, he clothes us. And he says, no longer do I call you an enemy, but I call you my friend, that we become friends of God in Christ. And then God is the best friend that we can have. That yes, we need many different forms of friendship in this life, but your friends may abandon you or may betray you at various points. But God is the friend who will never abandon you or betray you. That your friends may not always be there. That your friend may, may die or your friend may move away. But God is the friend who is there, who is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. That, that he is always there with the, the hand of friendship. And so then when we know that friendship with God in Christ that we can find much of the, the needed solace and hope and comfort from him. And they can actually position us to be better friends to those around us because we come to the friendship not needy. It's not my friend has to fill me up because I'm filled up with Christ, that I'm filled with the, the joy of Christ. And so then I can actually have that giving spirit to those around me instead of coming to just take because I've been filled up by Jesus, by his perfect life by his sacrificial death. And it's ultimately this friendship with God that we see here in this meal, that this was a 
a meal that, that Jesus celebrated with his friends, that at the Last Supper, as he prepared to, to die for his friends, and as Jesus was enjoying the, the, the fellowship, the table fellowship with these men who had traveled with him throughout his ministry, that, that he gave this meal as a, as a picture of his friendship with sinners, that out of that in this deep friendship that he would pour out his life, that his, his body would be broken, that his blood would be shed. And it's in this meal that we are then invited into friendship and fellowship with God. That if you, if you know Christ, when you come to this meal, that you're sitting down for a meal with your friend, the God of the universe, who opened the way for you to enter into relationship with him through Christ. But then this is also a meal among friends, that we are friends as the body of Christ, that it's fellowship, communion with God, communion with one another, that it, it builds that bond of friendship among us as believers who are here together. But if you're here and you've, you've never put your trust in Jesus, we're, we're glad that you're here, but we'd encourage you to, to wait and to not take this. And it's not that we're trying to be bad friends to you or to exclude you, but it would be hypocrisy to take this, that this is for those who have put their trust in Jesus, who have acknowledged that they're sinners, that they can't save themselves, that they need the, the perfect sacrifice of, of Jesus, and that who have been brought into that friendship with God through Christ. And so again, if you're, if you're still searching, we'd love to search with you to help you explore Jesus, but, but don't expose yourself to that kind of hypocrisy by taking this without believing. But for the rest, you don't have to be a member of, of Hope Church or a Presbyterian Church, but to be one who's put your trust in Jesus, has made that public by being part of a church that proclaims the gospel, not bound by the action of another church from taking this, but ultimately one that can profess the faith that we hold together using the words of the Apostles' Creed. So turn with me to, to page 9, and let's read this profession of faith together. Church, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, and born of the Virgin Mary, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, and the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Father, we thank you that though we were once aliens, once we were once far from you, though we've been brought near by the blood of Christ, that we have been brought into communion and friendship and fellowship with Christ, because of our friendship with Jesus, that we are your friend, Father, that we are invited into the, the friendship of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Lord, that's an amazing thing to, to believe, to say. 
We thank you for this meal of friendship that we can enjoy together as a symbol and seal. No, we recognize that, that Jesus is not bodily present with us here, uh, but we long for him as he comes back, that the, the, the time when we will be reunited with our, our friend, our, our bosom friend, the Lord Jesus. And we thank you for his covenant love for us, uh, stripping himself of all glory and dignity to take the form of a servant, to suffer in our place, to rise again so that we can have the fullness of life. And Lord, we pray that as we take this, that you will open up the, the opportunity to restore friendships that have been broken, that you can bring forgiveness to broken friendship. Lord, we pray for new friendships to be formed, that we could be a, a church where there are strong friendships, that where people are known and and know others and care for one another, even as you know and care for us in Christ. And so we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.